Hi there, welcome to Let's Talk Tottenham. No game this week, which is quite a good thing because Spurs stress people out most of the time anyway. Um, but a very exciting uh, 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 stream for me today. Uh, not talking about a game, but I'm joined by Kat Lucas, who has written a book about Tottenham. And here it is. Tottenham from the lane, the story of Spurs is in, of Spurs in N17. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really thanks appreciate it. And yeah, and writing a book, I mean, that, that must have been uh, quite exciting to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, Spurs is kind of my, for my sins, it's like a, you know, it's a lifelong <laughs> passion. So, um, you know, it's kind of a labour of love, but um yeah, it's fascinating kind of delving into all these sort of early days and, and then obviously it goes, you know, it starts in 1882 and then right up until uh, up until this year. So, um, yeah, it's amazing kind of, you know, going through all these things that, you know, no one alive was even aware of and then all the way up to, up to today. Yeah, excellent. So we'll be talking about everything that we can think of about the book, uh, what inspired uh, Kat to write it, her uh, favourite part of the book, uh, the humble beginnings that we started with to where multinational company that we are now uh, and everything in between uh, if you want to buy this book you can buy that here so pitchpublishing.co.uk slash shop slash Tottenham dash lane uh, you'll find uh, that to be able to buy there so I highly encourage you to do that and um, before we start I do have to say um, as many of you know Bob Spurs very seriously ill with uh, COVID at the moment still in quite a bad way so uh, thinking of you Bob uh, praying for you Bob and hoping you get better soon a strong guy I'm sure you'll bounce back it's just a, a hurdle that you have to get over and then you'll be back on streams your own stream this stream and many other streams um yeah so yeah hopefully you're okay um yeah big love to you Bob um yeah any comments you have obviously hit the like hit the subscribe any comments you have put them in any questions you've got for Kat about the book or anything Spurs uh, fire them in um yeah, we've got one question from Cody. Uh, how much Tylenol did you need to write order to write this book? I'm not sure what that means. I, I'm not with the. <laughs> no, I was. I don't. I'm not entirely. I don't know what that is. I, I'd have thought it's some kind of. Yeah, I'm assuming it's drugs because uh, you're obviously using yeah. a large chunk of your time to <laughs> write about a team that frustrate us so much. But yeah, um... I, don't, I don't know if that's kind of the book side of things, which is <laughs> having to think about Spurs. 24-7 a year is yeah. not is not something I'd uh, I'd recommend to anyone. But um yeah. yeah I mean, I, how, how long did it take you to write from the initial I'm gonna write a Spurs book to obviously you had a lot of research to do to here's the here's the finished book. I mean it must have taken Yeah, I mean all in all I'd say a couple of years, but I suppose it's oh, it's well. hard to, to say because there was kind of yeah, like a lot of it was sort of being in the archives and and speaking to people. So it's not per se, you know, putting the book together. But then, um, yeah, I think since you know from having the idea to it came out in October. So yeah, about about two years all all in all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've obviously got to have the results. <laughs> I mean, it, when we had a bad result or an awful performance. Were you tempted to go, I can't be dealing with this. I can't be dealing with this. Or was it always I mean, this is my project. I'm doing it. Yeah, I, I suppose the that good thing is, you know, because it kind of goes back to the 60s and stuff like that. So if you've, you know, some of the darker moments of the last couple of years, you can <laughs> look back and think, oh, no, no, this is fine. This is going to, you know, we're going to persevere with this. Um, so it's a nice, if it's an escape of anything. Um, 
Uh, that's essentially what this is. This whole all started because my family and friends got fed up with me moaning about Tottenham. So I thought I'll record it. No one can tell me to shut up. They just don't watch. Um, Cody's got back. Uh, Tynol is a medicine for headaches, apparently. Oh, I so see. Kind of got there. Oh, in that um, case, yeah, then a, then a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, but what what inspired you to write the book in the first place? Was it just uh, like you say a distraction, or was it something you always wanted to do, or what 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 was the? I suppose a bit of both. Yeah, yeah, something I've always wanted to do. Obviously, I'm a lifelong Spurs fan. I'm a journalist as well, so I, I cover Spurs. And I suppose just the in in terms of the content itself, the new stadium is just such a a focus kind of for the local community. Um, and, you know, with the end of White Hart Lane, I remember being there sort of on the, the final day against Man United and, and thinking, you know, this is the end. You know, so, so a lot of this is going to be lost. And especially if you look back at kind of the 60s and 70s that are covered in, in the book, there's a lot of it that a lot of people today don't know about. And so it was quite nice sort of speaking to people who wanted to sort of share their their tales of, these kind of eras that are yeah we don't want them to be lost because they're such a kind of an important part of the, the club's history mm. and do you think the history and that the, it's kind of being lost now obviously you can argue that with football in general now football mm. is just it's almost become more about the money than it is the actual football where obviously this was spurs was started uh, by three school school kids in tottenham marshes obviously a local very very local kind of thing there rather than a company and now football is obviously this multinational billion dollar company so do, do you think we're losing the kind of club or do you think that's just football in general or do you think the essence I mean, of the club is still there yeah i think it, it applies to any club you know I'm, I'm i bet arsenal fans united fans you know any anyone would say the same i think we all kind of have that same particularly if the the sort of big six if you like there's, you know, there is that slight disconnect from, you know, the clubs, the clubs past, um, and I think that's particularly the case when you when you have a new stadium, and that's that's not to say anything, you know, that they ought not to have built the new stadium, but it's inevitable that you you lose that sense of, you know, occasion because there we've had what maybe two three memorable games at the new ground, really, you know, maybe a couple mm. of Champions League nights like City and the first leg against Ajax, and and I suppose City this year again under Nuno, but. There's not an awful lot yet, and that's you know that's not the club's fault. But you do you you don't walk in like you would at White Hart Lane, where you can feel the history. Yeah. You've you've lost that sense of it. So I, I think the club do do you know make an effort to sort of link back to to those elements, but it's it's difficult. So I suppose yeah, that's what I was kind of interested in. Yeah, I mean, uh, just quickly in the comments, Wayne Bonner, how you doing, Wayne? Uh, Always, always uh, on Spurs streams, um, but yeah, like, to your point now, I did the stadium tour of White Hart Lane, and then a, a month or two ago, did the new stadium. And it's not a football stadium. This one, White Hart Lane, was a football stadium. Um, mm. But yeah, in, t in terms of the book, uh, it, it's more about the community and the actual club rather than the players and managers and everything like that. So, it, it, how, how would you describe the book to uh, people who? don't know about it and who are watching, listening. Um, yeah, how would you describe the book to kind of summarise what it's about? I suppose it's, yeah, like you say, it's a blend. So it's half football, but half looking at the community and the local history. So as much as it's, it's not kind of, you know, this game happened then, Spurs won. Obviously, you know, there's a bit of that, but a lot of it is 
looking at, say, for example, how the club was founded, looking at the local people, the businesses that supported them, you know, how that might not have happened without the, the local people. Um, again, sort of later on, looking at 2011 and what happened in the summer and how that actually convinced the club to stay in, in North London when they might otherwise not. So there's kind of a, yeah, it's it's not, obviously there's so many books about Spurs, you know, there's some really good ones like, you know, Julie Welch's one and, and you know, there's a lot of histories out there of Spurs, but I suppose, yeah, this is more 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 of a local feel to, to the club, I suppose. Yeah, and how much research went into all of that? I mean, in terms of, none of us were alive in 1882 but you, you even write about the uh, actual area of Tottenham in the, the 1400s and, and even before that so how, how was the research done was that speaking to historians or and historians of the club or was that yeah. your own research on, on Google and um, it's a bit of both uh -huh. you know there's um in, in Tottenham there's quite a few archives so you know there's one just actually a couple you know when you go to Lordship Lane and you go off just before White Hart Lane so there's an archive up there um, which is nothing to do with the club but um it, it's quite good for like you know that you've got all these sort of early maps of what, what Tottenham used to be like and and there's a couple of books as well on on Tottenham because it used to be quite a significant place you know before long before there was a it, now it's you know known for its football club but ye years and years ago you know it was it was quite a sort of a market town almost it was kind of barely mm. part of London it was connected but it wasn't really seen as you know a major part of, of London at all so there's all that and then there's the, the council as well you know I, I worked with them a little bit on it so and then yeah elements of the club as well and then you know speaking to local people so yeah hopefully it's got a, a bit of um bit of everything you know from the from the community yeah because what did local people kind of think uh, when you spoke to them because you mentioned in the book that <laughs> that they kind of view the new stadium as a, a, a spaceship and it's kind of an alien kind of thing and in, in an area of there's quite a lot of poverty there and it's not the, yeah. the nicest area in the world and it, it towers over most of the buildings and you've got all of these all of these kind of low costing buildings if you like and then you've got this massive thing uh, yeah, so what, what did the people think, uh, the local people think about that when you spoke to them? I suppose it's um it's a mix, isn't it? Because, you know, like you say, a lot of people in, in Tottenham aren't Spurs fans now. You know, most people mm. who go to the games are not the same people that live there, which I suppose is quite unusual for a lot of clubs. Um, but, you know, it's a mix because in a way it's a, it's a massively important part of, of Tottenham. Um, but then equally you have got this kind of conflict where you've like you, you know I think it, it, it talks about it a, a bit in the first few chapters how I think the um there's a charity called Trust for London that looks looks into the the numbers behind it and that's you know higher homelessness than other parts of London you know higher child poverty all, all this kind of thing going on and then in the middle you've got this billion pound football club <laughs> and, this massive stadium and you think what you know so kind of um yeah, it's, it's an odd mix, I suppose. So there's an element of that, and maybe that sort of fuels the disconnect a little bit between the mm. local people. And I know that the club do do certain things, like they give away tickets. I think there's, a, I don't know the percent, but of the in the new stadium, there's always something like 1% maybe of tickets are given to kind of nearby people and, and things like that. So it's just little things to sort of help, you know, ease that divide but yeah I think it is still there definitely yeah I, I think they've got to do stuff you can't have an area like that and then you have a billion pound stadium and then literally not do anything and and 
I, I, I'm sure I, I read when they were kind of building the stadium that part of the infrastructure and, and, and improving the infrastructure was part of the deal with that. I mean, do you know if that is the case and if, if there are things planned and, and again, and how, how important is it that the infrastructure is helped and, and everything like I mean, that along with this stadium? It's a difficult one, I think, because on the one hand, you know, it's Spurs have the ability to do that. Um, they've done, uh, I don't know if you've been to the um, the White Hart Lane station, looks completely new now. They've completely, they've done a lot of the funding for that. So there's there's that. And I think there's a few other things like um, they the old ticket office is now a pub again. That's a beaver town. So there's, there's a few sort of tweaks. Um, I suppose it comes down to, you know, whether any any company can kind of have that much influence over over a borough you know because on the one hand you don't want to completely gentrify it and take away all its existing character but then I, yeah the, the council were quite keen for Spurs to, to do that so and again there's this divide because there's you get some within the club who say you know this is a it's a company you know we don't we're not obliged to do this at all and then you've get, got the other side which is you know very keen to sort of engage and 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 develop where they can yeah um I'm sure I read that they were developing it, and, and I, I haven't gone to that stadium. I go Seven Sisters and then go to the Beehive, which I was delighted to read that you wrote about. I love the Beehive. It's become my. Uh, I have all these superstitions when I go, just because yeah. I do something, we then win, so I have to do them. So I'm on about fifteen, but one of them is I have to have a pint in the Beehive before each game. Yeah, me too. I've never seen. I'll, I'll look out for you next time. Yeah, the Beehive's my um, my go-to as well. Yeah. So. well you, you can't see anyone in there because on match days it's literally packed and you can't yeah. move. And, and there's an outside as well. But yeah, I, I, I swear they water down the pints in there because I can finish a pint in there in five minutes. I've never been in my life. Yeah, got a couple of comments here from Cody. Uh, Julie Welch's book is brilliant, as I'm sure Cats is. Uh, you, you can compare them, Cody. I haven't read Julie's, uh, so you can go <laughs> buy Cats and then you can compare the two. Uh, he's also said uh, there's a bit of a Hunger Games vibe when you look at the stadium and its surroundings. <laughs> I, remember, I remember White Hart Lane coming out at Seven Sisters. You had to walk 10, 15 minutes to be able to see any of the stadium. Now you walk out at Seven Sisters, turn around, and it's right there. Um, mm. Yeah, and Craig Bowler, uh, a few comments here. How are you doing, Craig? Always on, on here in the comments. The land around the ground is up for development. I think the plans will make it look about look like Wembley with a walkway from the station and the flats. And the uh, land has recently been sold by the club to an Enoch-owned property development company, so I imagine they'll put in planning permission soon. I, I don't know if you know anything of, of, of those or if that's kind yeah, of after I, I when, um... when the book ended. I don't know if it's COVID, but I think it's been slightly delayed because I think it was maybe meant to, to have happened by now. So you'd, you'd have, yeah, White Hart Lane station here and then the stadium. And yeah, there would be be a walkway, as, as you say, um, in, in, in between. And I think it's sort of meant to make it more accessible as well. It's meant to be like, you know, the most mm. kind of accessible stadium in the world. But hasn't yeah, hasn't happened yet. And I think it might be, I, I think COVID's kind of messed up a lot of things yeah. in the stadium that they were, they were planning to do a bit a bit sooner yeah uh, and it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon either um yeah thanks for all your comments keep them coming in any questions that you've got we're, we're here talking to cat lucas about her new book tottenham from the lane a story of spurs is it in n17 uh which you can buy from here at pitchpublishing.co.uk slash shop slash tottenham dash lane um but obviously two years uh, uh to write a book uh what was your favourite part to write in terms of 
in terms of research or in terms of just writing it or the information that you got and, and everything like that or, or do you not have a favorite part and it was all superb because it took your mind off the fact that we were losing it <laughs> i suppose yeah i'd have to have to say the um there's a, a big bit on the double in the middle so um i guess it's an obvious one but um i mean partly because you know i, I had spoke to a, a few family members of, of the players and and that was you know fascinating because it was something i'd never heard about before and and even speaking to people who were there on the um you know on the open top buses who you know through tottenham and things like that and it was just sort of a, a part that i was so aware of but i couldn't almost envisage what it would have been like to be there on the day yeah. um, you know both when they won the league and then when they had that afterwards and when you know the cup final in 61 as well and so yeah speaking to people spurs fans who have been going for sort of 60 70 you know it was it was yeah fascinating so i suppose that'd have to be be the one yeah and a uh, question from cody what was your favorite era to research would it have been that one just because of the success there or was there another era that was uh your favorite yeah i mean i suppose either that or the early kind of um you know from 1882 again because there's there's so many papers and, and archives and, and things that you can look back on and, and you just find so many little snippets that are not kind of particularly well known so yes mm. i suppose the the early days as well yeah i mean were, were you surprised by some some of the stuff you found out uh, I, I, certainly the part of uh, <laughs> uh, they were Cassinus uh, the, the guys who started the team Cassinus kind of middle class and lower class mobs as uh, I think you wrote uh, chuck tomatoes at them I'm sure there's a lot yeah. of fans who would love to chuck tomatoes at some of our players at the moment but uh, yeah they don't sell yeah, tomatoes being that it's a community club yeah I mean I were, were you surprised that they were kind of not dismissed by some of the community, but it wasn't like the community spirit that you'd kind of expect from some quarters. Yeah, I suppose when I started on those those bits, I I, I thought of it as you know, I, I think I you you always have in your mind what you think you'll you'll find, and I think I envisaged it as you know the you know the local people would all you know loved that this new new football team. They they were up and coming so quickly, Spurs as well. You know, and they're they're young mm. kids, and and I suppose that element of it, I yeah, I didn't see that coming at all that there was there was this kind of tension with with some locals and and even things like how difficult it was for them to to find somewhere to play football because you know there's it's being built up all the time and and then like you say yeah you've got these other these other schoolboys who see them as the players as quite well to do and slightly more middle class and so yeah there, there was all these kind of local elements that I, I suppose that's what you get as well because I think it, it says it early on that most clubs of that time were sort of working men's clubs and it was unusual to to have a club founded by kids essentially so mm. you know it it's all it all kind of adds up to to what makes spurs so unique yeah yeah and i mean i i i read a little bit of it and was, there was so much i didn't know about. <laughs> um but yeah what one guy who's uh cody's um mentioned john vipsha uh what are your thoughts on john vipsha and he's uh was he the first manager kind of kind of manager so he gave the club a lot of support in the early days um so he he was kind of a local man he worked with i think it was the bible classes um which is how he knew a lot of the kids he also knew because it's you know it's quite a small world in those days so he knew a lot of the families anyway um 
so yeah, it, he's a kind of a fascinating individual. But a lot, like a lot of these, like even Bobby Buckle as well, one of the players who, mm. who founded the club, they have a massive part to play in the early days, and then they kind of disappear. Mm. Um, and you know, you think that wouldn't happen these days, but they, a lot of them, sort of move away. And I think John Ripley was the same. He moved to Kent or some, you know, somewhere kind of a little bit out the way, and that was it you know that was it. so he sort of had a massive part to play in founding spurs and then you know no no mm. connection to the club after after a few years but he obviously as well had a big part to play in the decision of you know when they're amateurs uh, whether to go professional or not which isn't which wasn't an easy decision to make at mm. all i mean now i suppose it, it's <laughs> easy, but at, at the time it was quite um, you know, football as well, if anything, back then, you know, this is kind of Victorian time. So people saw football as a game and it's a leisure pursuit and it's a bit odd to be to be earning money for something like that. So I think, it, you know, you get this in the arts and in other things as well. But particularly in football, there it was almost looked down on a little bit, the idea that you would be getting paid to play a game. You know, it seems, you know, a bit mm. ridiculous. But there was a lot of conflict in the early days with Spurs and, and that side of things. Yeah, Tottenham was was it more of a rugby town? Or the, 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 there was certainly a hot uh, was it Hotspur rugby club? I could be getting confused. It was the um, the cricket club. Cricket is where, club, that's yeah, it. yeah sorry. Cricket. But football but was, generally wasn't really a, a thing, you know, in the south. So hmm. it was quite unusual that the boys picked you know football. They they want they they were cricket players. They wanted a, a, another sport to play. And I think you know it was either rugby or football, and they and they went towards football. But that, you know that there was no kind of guarantee that would have happened at all because there's there, there weren't many football teams in the south at that time. No. So why did they decide on football rather than rugby? Which I think just because there wasn't anything in the south, so it's let's bring it to the south or possibly I think it's kind of lost in the mists of time. I'm, I don't know no. if anyone knows. Yeah, but <laughs> why? <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, but uh, why did they move away? Obviously, Bobby uh, Buckle, who kind of founded the club, mm. like you say, that would never happen kind of now. Founders now would still be involved somehow. Uh, Cody said uh, with uh, John Vipshire, he moved to Dover, he believes. Um, but again, why, why, why was it that he left? Or was it just the time had run out and wanted to do something different? Yeah, so this was kind of post, you know, playing and, and all that sort of thing. So they you know their personal lives took them away from london and that was just the way it was obviously there was you know the lack of there was no kind of communication back then so yeah bobby buckle in particular i think he came back for one for for sort of one kind of signatory thing or you know uh, it might have been the cup final actually the 21 i want to say I, I don't don't quote me on that but um he, he, yeah, he came back as kind of a guest of honour, but other than that, yeah, quite you know, not a lot of a lot of connection. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite sad, really, when you think about it, that you've uh, founded something which now is multi, multi money and, and millions and everything, and mm. <laughs> he essentially kind of walked away from it. But um, yeah, another question from Cody. Cheers for all the questions, Cody. How, how did you become a Spurs supporter, and and what made what made you make the the poor decision to stretch yourselves out on a on a, a, a 
weekendly basis. Yeah, I um, often ask myself the same question. <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone. You're not alone. No, I suppose like a lot of people, it's um, you know, it's a family thing. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, my my whole family are Spurs fans, and going back years and years, and my dad and dad's dad, and you know, going mm -hmm. back, and that they, my family actually used to live sort of opposite White Hart Lane and just off the Park Lane. Oh, right. So um, yeah, really kind of local thing for for us. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I kind of didn't have have much of a choice. I suppose Man United, <laughs> you know, but um, you know, because David Beckham, I was kind of that age, you know, with mm. Beckham and like class of '92. So I suppose they would have been the only alternative. But here we are. Yeah, but you wouldn't change it for the world, would you? You, no, you I mean, wouldn't have had yeah. a book. You wouldn't have had a book otherwise. No, I suppose this could be called, you know, Man United from. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. yeah. My support is it's my dad's and Gary Lineker's fault. I blame them entirely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so with your family, so like your your dad and grandparents, were were they some of the people you used them um, to get research on? Certainly in the 60, 61 time. Yeah, or was that just a kind of what was your experience of that time? And then you go and and get you know accounts from quite a few different people over the same thing. Yeah, do you know, I, I suppose I don't think I spoke to any of my family specifically for the book, but I think maybe that's where that comes from, you know, wanting to know more about that, because I suppose I've been brought up being told about 1961, and mm. I think my dad's first game would have been 62, when Spurs, you know, the first oh, game yeah. of the new season, and he was saying he remembers going and Spurs were the champions and, and all that. So I suppose that's kind of in, in the back of my mind. I've always wanted to know more about that time um mm. and then yeah there's so many people obviously who were there who you know love love talking about it yeah i mean you, your book that obviously talks about the new stadium we've got another question cody and i'll warn you this is a polarizing one uh, everyone's got an opinion of this uh what do you oh. think of the current owners <laughs> <laughs> oh. and you get on these streams here you get some real pro levy ins you get some mm. real pro levy outs you get some and then everywhere in between. But what, what's your personal view I, on the owners? I'm going to be a bit of a fence sitter, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, hopefully I won't offend anyone that way. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I, de I understand fully the, the unhappiness with the owners. And, you know, I, I, Daniel Levy, I suppose, is kind of the face of Enix. So I think he gets a lot of the sort of heat you know, the, the sort of hostility when it's the, the whole thing, isn't it? Enoch as a, you know, Joe Lewis and it doesn't yeah, have to doesn't be, have to be an in and out question, Cody says. Well, but, you know, the, well that's I'm, typical of how it is now, isn't it? Like a lot of Spurs fans, you're either Levy in or you're Levy out. Yeah, Seems I mean, the kind of, um, there's always the question as well of, you know, what what's the alternative? Um, mm. I'm, and I suppose even aside from the stadium and, you know, Hotspur way and everything Daniel Levy's done kind of for the stability of the club. Um, I mean, who who else would it be? I think the, the difficulty is with Spurs because since Enoch came in, you know, when they bought them, you know, they, they never would, the way it's been built up to sort of a billion pound institution, that kind of narrows down quite significantly the number of people that would be able to buy Spurs. Mm. And... You know, would you have, you know, would you have a new owner 
that would be able to fund the team more effectively. I think, like you know, like most people, you know, you look back at that time when, you know, the end of the sort of Pochettino era, and you know that if if there there were chances to build on that team, mm. you know, that that sort of nearly title winning team, and I think that was the turning point for a lot of people with Daniel Levy when people, yeah. think, what you know, if if only, but as I'm. It's difficult because, uh, you know, do you want owners like Newcastle? You know, I know it's not the yeah. only alternative, but that I, that's not something I would want either. So, no. Yeah, I, I think you can have owners like that and you'll obviously win trophies. Do they mean anything when you you look at City now, apart from that Champions League that they want? The, the leagues don't really seem to mean that much to fans. They get like, you know, 40,000 and 60,000 seat a stadium every week. Um, yeah, I'd, but for me, the turning point with Levy was obviously I'm annoyed with the Pochettino stuff. Mm. He earned the right to get his um, players. And you mentioned in the book, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but something like um, the success of a club off the pitch is mirrored by the success on. I yeah. think it's something like that. I'm, I'm, I've, I've butchered your wording in your book. I do apologise. Um, but yeah, we had an opportunity, certainly 16-17 season. We were that close to winning the league. Mm don't take the next step and then go win the league next season. We sat still and then we are where we are now. But for, for me, the turning point was the ESL. Yeah. You, 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 you can upset all Spurs fans and that's fine, you know, but when you're trying to essentially, or not trying, but doing something which is a really, really, really good chance of putting a lot of clubs out of business and therefore yeah. a lot of fans suddenly have to pick another team, I think that's pretty unacceptable. Yeah, and, I mean... Yeah, yeah, the ESL. I don't think there's any defence of it, to be honest. I know no. that. I think the the club's defence was that this was happening anyway, and mm. you, you know, you either get left behind or you go along with it. But I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think it's. Um, I think looking back now, they accept that it was kind of inexcusable, and the you do notice the damage that it's done to their their standing a lot. Um, you know, among a lot of supporters. Mm. Yeah, but I. I, I... Totally agree with your point in in terms of what Daniel Levy has done for the club in terms of stabilising us. Uh, before Sugar, who saved us, it was was it Irving Scholler? Have I got the name? Right? Yeah, yeah. Who, we were pretty much bankrupt by that point when we and Sugar saved us, and then obviously Daniel Levy's now made us well billionaires essentially. Mm. So he has done well there. Um, but yeah, it's just that sixteen seventeen season and just sitting still. And then the ESL is, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose the one thing you you could say in Daniel Levy's defence, well, not the only thing, but one one thing you can say in his defence <laughs> is that um, if if you if you think about football in the last twenty years, it's not been an easy time to navigate, and particularly for a club like Spurs. And again, like you know, you say there with like you know Sugar in the nineties, people have their opinions about him as well. You know, by the end, he was a complete hate figure. So. You know, on the one hand, he he saved the club, but equally he turned them from, you know, where they were to kind of, a, you know, mid-table. There was no no hope of ever getting any better. And so I suppose there's always going to be, you, you always have unpopular owners, I think, at, at most clubs. But mm. yes, it's, it's difficult for, I think, to, to assess where, maybe, I guess we won't know where the impact of Daniel Levy maybe until he's, gone I suppose you know not that he's imminently 
going anywhere. <laughs> you know, if you could look back yeah. and say, okay, 25 years we've had him, this is where we were and this is where Spurs are now. Mm. You know, I and think I'm, you can look at that now, can't you? Because uh, when he came in, we were nowhere near European football. Now we, yeah. we're we upset if we're not in the Champions League, which is a far cry from where we were. Uh, I mean, Christian Gross, absolutely dreadful he was. And then we're a million miles from there now. And Juan de Vamos as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, what, what, what Cody's done talk about Levy is there's questions coming in now about Levy. So we will, I guarantee we will get back to the book. But one from Craig Bowler. Did you find anything out about the three, three transfer windows where we didn't spend anything being about reducing our outgoings to get a better refinancing deal, more profit equals less risk, better interest rate? I'm assuming that's on kind of the stadium. But did, did you find anything out about the the reasons for no I mean, transfers in three windows i don't i don't think it's public knowledge i think there's an element of from you know what, what you understand about the club is that spurs don't have the perhaps the scouting network or the the data networks that a lot of clubs have so you know when if you look at like when leicester won the league and some of the signings they made like you know canto for like half a million or something you know ridiculous and spurs don't seem to have that so you had this those those windows spurs would have liked to sign players for good value and they weren't finding any so i think they were saying like we are with the new stadium, even if it's not quite as cynical as that, they can't be going out and spending 70, 80 million pound on a on a centre back, you know, that Liverpool were able to do, or 50 pound 50 million on a goalkeeper. So I think I, I don't know if it if it is kind of as clear cut as that, that behind the scenes, if that's what they were thinking. But I think the stadium obviously is always in the back of their mind and they're thinking that we are going to be be paying this off for, for so long. And then obviously COVID's made it worse because we've not got the income that we we mm-hmm. for the you know the first two sort of couple of years, which you know no one could have seen that coming. No. Yeah, uh, one more comment before we get back to the book. I promise uh, uh, from Cody Allen should have very much acted in self interest when he bought Tottenham. Yes, he saved the club along with Terry Venables. He also wanted a seat at the table when TV rights were being negotiated, which yeah. In, he's got his seventy-fifth uh, uh, series of The Apprentice coming on soon. It's probably not far the mark. Um, but yeah, you talk about the new stadium in the book. Obviously, uh, mm. how important is the new stadium? Because I, I, I was surprised reading that uh, back in the early days. I mean, we're obviously humble beginnings now. You mentioned that we struggled to find a place to play, and now we're in the best stadium in the world. But I was surprised to read that we had concerts for kind of not fundraising, but to help. Yeah, um, money, money spinners. Yeah, and then this new stadium is obviously a bowl. We've got Guns and Roses, Lady Gaga, you've got Anthony Joshua, there's some rugby, there's NFL. So it, 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 even though that was criticised with the new stadium, we're a football club, not a gig venue, not a this, not a that. In terms of the old days when we started, it, it's fairly similar having like these extracurricular, if you like, non-football things to bring in money so it, it, it's not too far off and because and, levy gets uh you've taken the soul out of the club you're not living mm. to the ethos but you could argue that he is by creating somewhere that has venues uh ha- has gigs and extra events like that to bring in more money uh, so what, what do you think about that uh, yeah what do you think about that being that it's, it's almost like full circle in a way yeah, it's something they've always done, and I think it one one of the things I found out in the, the sort of the early days of the book is it kind of t- took on a life of its own. So in the beginning, these were you know they'd have like a quiz night in the pub or you know a, a little concert in the pub and you know really minor events that would 
raise like you know tiny amounts of money and then it gets on to sort of concerts and they would have you know early days of white Hart lane they'd have a big sort of sports fair and like you know all the spurs fans would go or even after the um the 1901 cup final they put on like a obviously not not a tv but they they managed to sort of put on these slides so spurs fans went to white Hart lane and could look at the sort of see the goals because you know the people who hadn't been mm-hmm. been at the cup final so they've always done these money spinners um so uh, yeah I, I do understand why people don't like them and think this is a spurs stadium but it, you know and it's not even just the early days they used to have you know the eubank fought there they've had loads of fights there over the years um there was one in the 40s as well um this, yeah it's quite a few quite a few famous fights they've had there so None of it's new. Um, I suppose the the difficulty is it kind of fits into people who aren't happy with Enoch. That kind of completely fits into the image of them, you know, not kind of focusing on football, but thinking about Lady Gaga and AJ and and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, But on the flip side of that, one of the guys I interviewed, um, one one of the people who, he's a guy called Paul Fletcher, who's designed... Quite a few stadiums. Yeah, Frank Bruno, that was the one. There was one of those. Cheers, Craig. Um, so yeah, and, and he was making the point. He he's designed the Rico, the new Huddersfield Stadium. He used to uh, kind of be the head guy at Wembley. And and he was saying this Spurs stadium just would not be viable if you have a football team plays there once a fortnight. You know, you are never going to be able to fund this without the deal mm. with the NFL. And if anything, he was like, they they need to do more. You know, they could have sort of along the outside little businesses or even things like a barber's or something that kind of takes people to the stadium. Because still, talk about a barber, not built in, but on the side of the, which has obviously got a (laughs) Delhi Alley will be a frequent visitor there. I would have thought it would probably live there. Um, Yeah, until next month, then. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it just makes sense really in, in a way that if you're bringing in all of this extra money which if that goes into the club which is that that's people's query isn't it that's people's gripe a lot of the time that they'll get all this money does it go into the club or does it go in levy's pocket if it goes in levy's pocket unacceptable if it goes into the club it's fine have more gigs have more fights have more this have more that but yeah and, and obviously covid because i think a, a, 11 of them got cancelled or postponed mm. So that's obviously not helped. Uh, but yeah, do you, uh, what do you see with that with, with, in terms of the money that comes in from um, those events? Because I'm sure presumably those haven't happened yet because they got cut cut out. So you can't really write about that in your book because they haven't really happened. Yeah. Um, but ha- ha- how do you see those going? And it will carry on. It will carry on with the unofficial uh, British home of uh, the NFL. So there'll obviously be more games there. And that must bring in a lot of money. Yeah, and I think the the plan is that, that there's always this talk of like a London NFL team, isn't there? So I think that's kind of understood that that would be at, at Tottenham. So you'd have have quite mm-hmm. a lot of NFL if that if that does happen. Um, yeah, I mean they're not going to stop doing them because they're unpopular. And and the other thing I suppose I, I've known quite a few people who have gone to these events. You know, like a few people that were the, the AJ fight, and they all not Spurs fans, and they all just said, "Wow, you know what what a stadium." So I guess there's that side of it. You know what it does for the the image of the club as well as you know financially. In it's difficult to know where it goes. Obviously, 
it's it, it doesn't go into Daniel Levy's pocket, you know, because he has his fixed salary and you know whatever it says about Enoch and where that where the money goes for Enoch. I don't you know I don't know the ins and outs, but it would it wouldn't make sense to purely have the stadium for yeah football once a fortnight. I know that's the way it used to be, mm. but it, it wouldn't make sense when you do have the option of, of doing that. I suppose. Yeah, and then yeah, like I say, like we had concerts, quizzes, and all of that stuff uh, when we first started. It, it, it's not far off, kind of what what we did previously. It's just. Like you said, it's it's stuff way in the past that people aren't aware of. Yeah, I suppose there's an element of that. I, I think there's always talk as well of the the stadium. It's, it's designed so cleverly that you can completely, you know, it one minute it looks like a Spurs stadium and the next it looks like an NFL stadium. So I yeah. think people <laughs> maybe don't like, you know, like you know at White Hart Lane you had the THFC painted like on the you know on the shelf and, and things like that and there's none of that so it means that you can just kind of flick a button and there's mm. NFL advertising and there's no sign of Spurs at all and obviously on the one hand that's quite clever but then on the other hand if you're a Spurs fan and you view this as your home mm. I, I you know I understand why people are not in favour of yeah, that's what happened with the NFL game. The whole Spurs shop was stripped of any Spurs stuff. It was just NFL mm. stuff, which yeah, I'm not sure I agree in that. Um, yeah, Cody's got another question for you. If you could time travel, which decade of Spurs history would you choose to relive? Good question. None. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I guess it's got to be the 60s, hasn't it? Um, mm. I suppose maybe the sort of early, early 70s as well. Um, and there's a bit in the book about the that kind of later Bill Nick days, which you know not not as well um, discussed. No. Um, but yeah, it'd have to be sort of early sixties and going for the double, and then you know sixty two, sixty seven, the cups, and obviously European Cup winners' cup as well. So, oh, they would have been the days, I imagine. But um, maybe maybe the twenty twenties. <laughs> who knows? You know that could be the. Uh, mm. I doubt it, but you know, you never know. Yeah. I'd go back to the Champions League final and implore him not to start Kane, implore Sissoko to put his arm down. Um, but yeah, <laughs> disco and hard drugs. Nice one, Cat. That's <laughs> quite neat. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bill Nicholson in the 60s. I mean, that's obviously our heyday, isn't it? Uh, mm. So formed in 1882, so it was that 80 years. I mean, is, is that a long time in terms of starting a football club to being the best team in England and being the best team uh, in Europe? So, I mean, how, how was it kind of uh, writing about and researching that, that that essentially rise to fame? I, I mean, I know it's a long time. It sounds ridiculous, 80 years, but in terms of I mean, starting that... a football team on a little little stretch of grass over, <laughs> over the road to being the best team in Europe... It, Seems like it could be quite a quick transition. Yeah. yeah how, how was that to write about? It is. And I suppose the thing is, in between, you've got two world wars. So mm. that whole, you know, the, the first sort of, you've got the, the 80s and, and it's like, you know, those, <laughs> Cody those... would go back to the 80s, 90s. He always wanted to die two for the K. Okay. <laughs> well, um... Apologies. <laughs> No, um, yeah. So I, I, I suppose in in those early days, you've got so many 
it, it's it's difficult to, to judge anything from that time because you've got yeah two world wars mm. and the impact of those then you've also got being booted out of the first division and you know arsenal taking the place so there's all these things that i suppose make it quite would would have made it difficult because you know they they've got the war leagues in you know all those years where they're not even playing you know sort of mm. you know, a serious league so I, I think, yeah, in the scheme of things, it's not it's not too long. And of course, as well, you've got 1951 as well and, and Arthur Rose. So they, they did have a sort of a short period as well. Obviously, it wasn't quite the same as under Bill Nicholson, where they were kind of unquestionably the best team for, you know, a, a lot longer. But you've still got that, you know, that title and and when they, you know, they go up and then they win it in the first, their first season up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just my dad was alive then, so he talks. He was born in '54, so he kind of, kind of remembers that stuff. Um, mm. But yeah, he might have been a little too young for that. But um, yeah, I, I was surprised as well that the amount of kits that we've had. So the first one was dark blue, which you associate now mm. are the way kit, and then it was the color that we're not going to talk about. We're not going to mention that color. Um, but yeah, I mean, when did it change to? the white kit that we associate with Tottenham now? So it is one of the quite early AGMs. So like you say, throughout the sort of 1880s and a bit of the 1890s, it's uh, the thing is, I suppose then it's it's not a big deal what to, to anyone what what colour they play in. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it, it partly comes from Preston North End, who obviously was such a, a prominent team at the time, and Spurs, you know, the, the youngsters of the, you know, the early Spurs really modelled themselves on them and they actually went to see them in a cup final and they thought oh mm. wow you know this is like the team you know that we want to be like so that's where the kind of the all white kits come from and so you know one you know famous like european knights has always been white shorts as well as white top um yeah so it's it's all it's all dates back to then but i think it was kind of yeah one of the early agms where they they had to sort of make more formal decisions because before yeah it was one one minute they had that sort of chocolate kit you know the one that they they did yeah. 15 years ago and then they had the half blue half white to be like blackburn and um yeah no it was blackburn in fact that they saw, saw in the cup final yeah tell a lie not not preston but um so that they're, they're kind of looking up to these these other clubs and they didn't have their own identity so to speak and then it was only then mm. that they needed to sort of make more formal decisions like you know what what kits they're going to play in and mm. even things like the logo and you know all, all those bits yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was just surprising to me, and certainly that uh, they struggled to find games to play. There was a like a local derby. I can't remember who the name was now. Um, it wasn't Arsenal, but uh, yeah. And then it became too popular, mm. and then they decided no, no, no. Le le yeah, it's it quite interesting reading, and then it's all stuff that you don't know about. And yeah, to research that must have been quite interesting. Yeah, it was because I, I mean, that's another thing. Yeah, you sort of think of it as a bit of a linear. Thing, you know they'd find found the club they'd start playing games then they join the league and but yeah there was sort of all these hurdles um like you know for example like you say not having enough games to play and particularly because they're so young <coughs> as well so there were local teams but they they're all adults so they didn't want to play football with a load of teenage boys so <laughs> that, that was you know it's, it's difficult and then there's you know finding where to play and and all this side of things as well so yeah, it was, it's difficult. And I think that's where the sort of community aspect comes in because the early days, these kids on their own wouldn't have been able to, 
to form a football club of you know this level of organization and and you know they yeah. started having meetings and all this sort of thing so that's where the kind of local businesses you know people like oliver and, and people like that come in yeah yeah i mean yeah if you're just joining us uh, we talk about cat's uh, new book uh, Tottenham from the Lane, the story of Spurs in N17. If you want a copy for yourself, you can buy that here. Uh, pitchpublishing.co.uk slash shop slash Tottenham slash uh, dash lane, dash lane, not slash lane. Um, but yeah, and we've got a few more comments. Uh, Cody said you can stop taking my questions whenever you like. Keep them coming in, Cody, keep them coming in. Uh, Brad, how you doing, Brad? Uh, my dad used to talk about the White Hart Lane Angels and match, day, match days during the early 60s. I don't know. I don't know what they are. You, oh, so I'm they, assuming you looked into those. It comes, it, it dates back to a, a European game, um, which was kind of quite heated and it was an away game. Um, and the media had said something like, you know, Spurs were complaining about the number of fouls and all this. And it said, you know, just like an off the cuff comment, like Spurs were no angels. Um, so then the home leg at White Hart Lane, you've got these Spurs fans come in like these kind of mock togas and like, you know, looking like angels. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then when Spurs win, you know, they've got the, uh, and you have the open top bus, then you've got these these angels come back again and they've got these big banners that say like, hallowed be their names, uh, kind of all these like sort of religious slogans, but kind of with a Spurs twist, you know, I can't think of them off the, off the top of my head, but kind of, yeah, all, all about Spurs, but. And, you know, they look like, you know, kind of sort of semi-Jesus figures. <laughs> so, yeah, they were quite, um, they were like a big thing for people in, in the 60s. You don't get things like that now, do you? Everything has to be so clean cut and you can't yeah. do anything these days. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a bit of character, isn't it? And kind of something different that you see. It's also um, where the, uh, where the, the glory glory hallelujah comes from as well because the sort of the hallelujah and the singing about the and i think bill nick said after he you know he, he heard the fans saying and said it was almost like a kind of religious feeling at white hart lane hit you know all these people singing glory hallelujah so again it's one of those sort of spurs things that's been lost in the midst of time almost but it all dates mm. back to, to the 60s yeah I, I didn't know anything about that it's just so much you don't know and yeah, no wonder it took two years to write. Um, yeah, another question from Cody. Uh, if you had to choose between, this is another one that always uh, is polarising. If you had to choose between finishing fourth and winning the League Cup and finishing seventh, which would you choose? I mean, at the minute, we're finishing seventh and not even winning the league. <laughs> so, um, I'd, I'd oh, that's take... slightly unfair because we've got about 15 games in hand at the moment. So. <laughs> I think the one thing I would say is. I always remember being at City away in 2010 when we got in the Champions mm. League for the first time. And I know this sounds like a classic Spurs fan thing to say, but the final whistle was like winning a cup. Like mm. the atmosphere was just, it was the, you know, the best away atmosphere I've ever seen. So I, I want to say, I'd like to say, if, if, if it meant, you know, coming forth, and you know that that means going forward, we'll be back in that position for the next five years. I would say fourth. But if it was come fourth and then go back to where we are, then I would say I'll just take the, the day out at Wembley. We'd have yeah. to go to Wembley again as well. That's the thing if we won the League Cup. And I'd, I've I've had enough yeah. old days out at Wembley. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, do you talk about that in your book? Because Wembley for me was always the pinnacle. You get there when you're the best. 
Mm. And then going there every two weeks for how many seasons, it's completely lost of its its appeal now for me. Um, yeah, it, it does talk a little bit about that and how again it was sort of it couldn't be helped, but we, we were there a lot longer than we mm. intended to be. And it does it, it's lost its appeal for a lot of people. Oh, obviously, I wouldn't complain if we did get to a cup final. We wouldn't think, oh, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's boycott it, let's not go. Um, but, I mean, the, I suppose one thing is, Wembley is one of the stadiums, along with Arsenal, that the new Spurs stadium has learnt things. You know, they've looked at that and said that doesn't work at all. Mm. So, Wembley, you know, people talk about the lack of the atmosphere. Even the fact, like, you know, when they have the NFL there and they have... Um, you know, you could still see the NFL logo in the sort of centre circle. So, you know, mm-hmm. Spurs, obviously, yeah, we can't have that again. Yeah. I think we had a game against City, it might have been, where they'd had NFL the week before at Wembley and Spurs were playing and there were NFL markings like all over the place. And I think that, you know, the league weren't too happy about it either because they were saying you can't have this, you know, this looks insane. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> all these little things. I suppose Wembley, you know, we've learned lessons but yeah it wasn't the uh wasn't the best yeah i mean yeah in terms of that fourth and seventh Cody said excellent another one uh, <laughs> uh, but brad has said uh thanks uh never knew the history behind the angels and the origins of glory glory hallelujah um but yeah I, again i encourage you to get this book uh you'll find out so much that you didn't know so much you knew about, but you didn't know the reasons, and so much that you're completely known. And uh, I'm not sure if you want to answer this. I'm not sure if the publishers will be too happy. Uh, Craig's asked, uh, does it make any difference getting it on Amazon? Uh, yeah, you can get it on Amazon. It's in, um, so you can get it on Waterstones, Amazon, uh, and Smiths, I think. If you go on the um, the website that, you know, we put up earlier, I think there's there's a big list of places you can get it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, if you go on here, uh, Craig, uh, pitchpublishing.co.uk slash shop slash Tottenham-Lane, uh, yeah, you'll have yeah, all the links a, to be able to yeah, there's a link buy to that from the various outlets. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, now you've written this book, two years uh, it's taken. Mm. Uh, it must have been a quite nice distraction, certainly when we were playing bad. Uh, any uh, ambitions to write another one? And yeah, definitely. One? I think um, after the last two years, I think maybe it's on hold a little bit. But yeah, there's definitely like a few ideas and a, a couple of them's quite Spurs focused. So hopefully, um, hopefully I'll be back in a, another couple of years. Excellent. So obviously they won't be about the history unless there's so much history that you need a, a, a second volume to write about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, what are the ideas or, or are they stuff you want to keep uh I mean, it it depends, I think, because there's always, you know, this is kind of a a full history from, you know, 100, nearly 40 years. But there's always like little bits that you want to focus in on and you think, oh, Mm. that particular time was quite interesting. Or, you know, it might might be about, you know, Conte's, all the cups that we've won, you know, in the next, you know, (laughs) know, that's going to be like a big, you know, massive. Yeah, I don't know. There's a few few ideas, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to see. What do you think of Conte? Obviously, uh, Nuno, I still don't really understand why we got him. Uh, I still don't understand why he plays Kane and Son. He played Kane and Son and decided not to use them at all. Uh, the whole Jose, you bring Jose in to win a cup, mm. he gets within a 
reach and then you sack him six days later and now we've got Conte and a lot of people saying this is a Levy's last chance he gets this wrong he's really going to be struggling to keep his role there and, and have 60,000 people shouting Levy out at the top of his voice every two weeks but um, what do you think of Conte and do you think he'll bring a success do you think it's a long-term appointment or do you think it'll not last I, long um, past the 18 months that he's been given? I mean that is the thing isn't it with Conte that's that's kind of been his pattern um he just he wears me out, you know. Even look at minutes, <laughs> you're like, like must wear himself out the amount yeah, that he runs I, about. And... But then he's so quietly spoken as well. So then you know when you speak to him, <laughs> like, what? That, you know, it's it's so funny. But um, I I think he'll do. I think it's a fantastic appointment. I cannot believe you know when he took it. I thought, wow, um, you know this is one of the best managers in the world at the moment. Whereas, you know, mm. the, the Jose thing, you know, you've got the name, but at the, the point he came, he, he wasn't mm. in that sort of form. Um, it's, it's difficult because there is only so much you can do. And I think there's a lot of work that needs doing with both the squad. And also it's just, where, where can you go? Because, you know, the, the title or anything like that isn't massively attainable. You know, there... It, I, I don't know if there's any manager that could come in and be able to compete with City and Liverpool and, you know, Chelsea this season. I, it's, it's a difficult one. But, you know, an FA Cup and top four, I think that would be, um, you know, that you'd have to say that was massive success. Mm. So I think, yeah, it's, it's attainable. Um, and even, you know, the last few weeks, you've started to see it kind of picking up. But then obviously we've lost the momentum again, which is uh, which is disappointing. And the yeah. last few weeks, obviously, with all these games postponed. Yeah. Yeah, Craig's found the book on Amazon being lazy, not looking on there. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, my, my biggest con, not concern, but like a question is what happens in January because there has to have been some discussions when he he was offered the job on transfers and ins and outs and everything like that. And Conte needs to spend money. Generally, he needs to, mm. not necessarily uh, the net. Net is a uh, hundred million because I'm not selling anyone. But he sells players, he buys players in, which traditionally Levy uh, isn't a huge fan of. Um, but I think that the difference is with Pochettino, Jose, and Nuno. When they asked for something, Levy said no. They went okay. Whereas Conte will just say bye bye and walk off. And and I'm, I'm not sure Levy can afford that. Being that, like you say this world-class manager. I'm yeah. not sure you can afford him to just walk off because of broken promises. So what do you see happening in January or do you think there'll be a couple of bit of business and then summer will be quite a big... Yeah, I mean, sort of... it typically goes that way, doesn't it? You know, the winter window is always quiet. So I, I wouldn't have thought it would be massive. But again, it's difficult because you, you would expect that Antonio Conte has come in and with a list of demands... Um, I don't know how specific they are, you know, if it's that I want this X amount of money or if it's more likely, you know, a centre-back, a centre-mid, something done with the goalkeeper, you know, either a new new deal for the Wolves or start looking, you know, long-term at a new keeper. That I mean, there's so many. <laughs> the list goes on. But, you know, the, <laughs> you'd imagine that he's got these this list. But again, it's it's not easy, you know, if there's no value in the market and he says we want a centre mid and there's no one under 50 million that would actually come in and, and, and improve the team, then 
do they buy them for the sake of it because they say well we did say we'd give them the money or do they kind of stick to to how they've always dealt with things so we'll see it's a difficult one but I, yeah you would imagine that they've I mean if you go for Antonio Conte you you would think that the board have accepted that they'll be spending some money and that mm. this would be they won't expect him to kind of work with the bare bones yeah um, I can't believe that we won't buy any players in January just mm. because of Conte and if we don't get some kind of creative midfielder I'll be absolutely furious I think we're crying out for that um couple of comments from David Clark. Uh, how you doing, David? Levy will be there as long as he wants. He holds 29.4% shares and is chairman of Enoch, possibly. Uh, he's also gone on to say Conte can be given millions, but it's about are we big enough to attract world-class players? When you have Conte, you can attract players. Yeah. People, players will want to play for Conte. If, if you've got Nuno there, <laughs> with all due respect to Nuno, it, you don't have the same pull with Nuno there as you do with the Conte there. Um but yeah, what, another player, um, uh, this is possibly the most polarising question you'll be asked ever. Thoughts on Harry Kane this season? Uh, he's obviously gone from up there to down there and now somewhere in between. And, and some people are still up there. Some people are down there. Uh, mm. What do you make of the whole transfer saga, his, his poor form and, and everything? I, I mean, I, I'm still inclined to say, you know, you know, the thing of forms, temporary classes, permanent. Mm. And I don't believe a player of Harry Kane's ability just disappears overnight, you know. And I know sort of even in the Euros, there were times when he wasn't looking fit and, and it's built up over years because he's he's played a lot of games over the last few years without a lot of time off. Um Psychologically, obviously, what happened in the summer is going to have an effect. Um, but, you know, it's difficult for him because he's sort of... I, I don't know if he knows entirely what is expected of him, you know, because he's not scoring goals, but equally, because we don't have that sort of Ericsson behind him, he's almost coming so deep that he's doing mm. that himself. And and if we had someone there doing that, you wouldn't... Or, you know, at his peak when you had Deli Ali behind him as well. Whereas when he doesn't have that, that's that's partly his job. And so so often, you know, he's out wide or he's kind of by the halfway line, and it it, it makes it so difficult. If where you know, if that was all he had to do, if you had the players around him and you just said put him in the box, I think mm. we'd see it. You know, whatever happened in the summer, we'd see a, a different cane to to what we're seeing now. Yeah, I think the creative midfielder is essential. For, for that reason, and I think with Nuno, if you if you've got strike, if, if Liverpool decided to play with no attacking intent at all, Mo Salah would struggle. Yeah, that's the same. And then obviously the transfer window and everything that happened there. I, I think he made an error in the, the the refusing to train by thinking that he can do whatever he wants and the fans will still back him over Levy. But he's forgotten about the fact that the badge is bigger than him. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think under Conte he'll come good. He'll come good. He's too good a player not to. Um, but yeah, a quick question for Mark. Uh, we talked about the um, uh, the, oh, the what's the name of the pub that we Bell and Beehive Hay. Beehive. Yeah, uh, is Bell and Hare still there? No, it's not. No. It's still, the building is there, but it's called Number Eight. 
so it's kind of um, oh i know where that is yeah so there's another one up by manor house i think there's a few of them i don't know if it's kind of there's a lot mm. of them but yeah no the bell and hair's gone so mm. sad will they be kind of bringing that back somewhere else as part of the kind of infrastructure i, I wouldn't like have thought so. as you call, yeah um because it's the same thing you know it's still a pub it's just kind of different owners so the bell and hair was there for years though so i don't know why why they sold it or what happened there but yeah it sort of it disappeared overnight basically and now it's the number, mm. the number eight is a nice pub actually but it's um yeah yeah, yeah i think like the bell and hair is like one of the classic tottenham pubs for you know match day yeah. fans yeah, go to the Beehive Mark instead. Although I did notice you, you mentioned in the book about the uh, banner that was over there with Levy's face saying, I've yeah. got more ales than I've had managers. They've taken that down now. Yeah, that's I'm not sure if that was Levy paid them a visit or. Yeah, maybe they... maybe Daniel Levy's read the book and said, you know, what's. Yeah. <laughs> or he's had too many managers and they can't afford as many ales. So it's, it's not factually accurate yeah. anymore. Nuno um... was the one that sort of tipped them over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, in terms of this season, last couple of questions. In terms of this season, we've obviously got two games in hand. I think that'll probably be our lot because I think we'll probably play against Leicester. Obviously, not ideal. They haven't trained. Uh, we're going to be unfit. Uh, it's away against a team who just won 4 0. And then we've got a, a very easy uh, game against Liverpool. Um, but if you can win those games in hand, win those two, or certainly not lose those games, we're right back in that top four race. We've got Conte now. We're in a court final of a cup. I'm eternally optimistic. I, I I don't know why I do it to myself. I'm optimistic. And then when we lose, it's even more kicking, bigger kicking the teeth. Um, but what do you see happening this season? What, what do you think we can achieve this season? I do. Th again, I, I would lean towards being quite optimistic. I mean, I, I don't know, but the top four is not kind of out of possibility. You know, I, I mean... West Ham. Yeah, I think top, I think top three are done. It's just what order that will yeah. be, and then fourth is up for grabs. That is unattainable. But yeah, I suppose fourth. You know, West Ham, Arsenal, United. You know, there's so many teams. I think United will 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 be in it. But um, you know, now with the new manager and and the squad that they have. But I, I mean, given the way the season started, I, I would say fifth is would be acceptable you know years ago it would have been disappointing but now when you think of where we were I think con you know if you give Conte six months come fifth and mm. maybe you know a, a cup run as well you know that'd be a, a bonus yeah I mean he's definitely improved us so before all of this uh, Covid uh, kind of shut us down uh, undefeated in four three wins I think I think only one game we conceded a goal in there um I think that was Leeds. Um, yeah, definite improvement. Hopefully, the um, it just doesn't derail us too much. Um, but yeah, in terms of the book, uh, Craig's ordered it now. Uh, hopefully, it turns up. Although it looks like that's my Christmas reading, so presumably he's not going to be reading it for about two weeks. Um, but yeah, highly encourage you to get the book as well. Uh, it's Cat's new book, Tottenham from the Lane: Story of Spurs in N17. Um, which you can buy, uh, let me get the website up, at pitchpublishing.co.uk slash shop slash Tottenham dash lane. Uh, just before we go, uh, again, uh, for anyone who missed it earlier or, or, or doesn't know about it, uh, how would you describe the book? Obviously, it's a history of Tottenham, but um, yeah, how would you describe the book to people who want to know a bit more about it before buying it or, or don't know anything about it? Yeah, so uh, like you say, it's, it's a history of Tottenham, but with more of a 
kind of a local community feel. So it, it goes start, starts in 1882, goes all the way up until the Nuno, Nuno times, um, which I was pleased about because I thought, oh, yeah, this is so up to date. And then by the time it came out, <laughs> it be, oh, no. Um, but I think that's always going to happen. You were, you were delighted about writing about absolute dross on a football team as well. <laughs> Well, I think actually it might have been, I think it, it went off just as he'd been appointed. So he said, oh, you know, exciting new new era under Nuno. Um, and, you know, obviously that's the hazard of, of, of a book. You know, it's kind of immortalised now that I uh, I was so optimistic. But, um, yeah, so it's, it, it's essentially just a history of Tottenham Hotspur, but hopefully given a, a bit more detail about their their local history and, you know, their place in Tottenham. You know, so not just not just the club, but you know, Tottenham as a whole. So even if you're not from Tottenham or you know you're not from London or the southeast, I think it's still, I think it, you know it kind of helps you connect to the club, particularly when we're not even playing at the moment. But you know when, yeah, if you're you know I suppose there's people have had that kind of disconnect, and hopefully it, it sort of can help you sort of engage with them a little bit um, yeah, over the years. Definitely. Yeah, excellent. Make sure you get it. You know, even if you're not a Tottenham fan, there's so many Tottenham fans around, so you must know someone who is a Tottenham fan. Go order it uh, again uh, for anyone who's, who's forgotten or, or doesn't know. You can get it from here, pitchpublishing.co.uk slash shop slash Tottenham-Lane uh, and go and buy this. Tottenham from the Lane, the story of Spurs in N17. Uh, we've pretty much reached the end uh, uh, now. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, and yeah, when you write a sequel, come on again. Or, or if you just want to rant about Tottenham uh, or predict uh, uh, what's going to happen in the next game, uh, yeah, just hit me up on Twitter. But it's um, been great having you on. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, talking about your book. And, and congratulations on the book. And, uh, Thank luck. you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, oh, no yeah, problem. My pleasure. Hopefully, the Leicester yeah. game goes ahead and it uh, and it goes well. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I'll, I'll be back uh, uh, on Friday, obviously, if Leicester goes ahead, then it'll be a Leicester review. There won't be a Leicester preview. Um, but, yeah, and uh, just before we go as well, Bob Spur, uh, lovely Bob, hope you get better soon, uh, praying for you. And, uh, yeah, everyone do the same. Lovely bloke, Bob, and in a bit of a bad way at the moment. Um, but, yeah, once again, thanks so much, Kat. Um, and good luck with the book. Thanks. And as always, before we go, come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for watching, for everybody who participated in the live chat and added comments. Before you go, please make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. Anybody who couldn't watch the live video, you can still catch us on YouTube. Add any comments, suggestions or questions to the comments section on the video. Anybody who's listened to the audio-only podcast, thank you so much for listening. Anybody who wants the audio-only podcast, you can get this wherever you get your podcast from. Alternatively, if you go to Twitter, at LTalkTottenham, you'll find all the information there. We'll be back soon. We're live Mondays, 8pm, Fridays, half 12, UK time. Until then, come on, you Spurs!